Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we'll be delving into the intriguing world of The Secret Life of Pronouns by renowned psychologist and author James W. Pennebaker. This groundbreaking work provides an illuminating glimpse into how our use of seemingly insignificant words such as pronouns can reveal more about our personality, our social relationships, and even our psychological state than we might ever have imagined. As the chair of the psychology department at the University of Texas at Austin and the author of acclaimed books such as Writing to Heal and Opening Up, Pennebaker uses his expertise to decode the subconscious language patterns that govern our interactions and inner thoughts. Whether you're a linguist, psychologist, an avid grammar enthusiast, or simply someone who's fascinated by the mysteries of the human psyche, The Secret Life of Pronouns promises to challenge your perceptions of the language you use every day. So, if you've ever wondered what your words say about you, join us as we explore the revelatory power of pronouns in this enlightening episode. The Secret Life of Pronouns What Our Words Say About Us. Introduction Welcome aboard on a journey of self discovery. Have you ever paused to consider the underlying revelations made by those inconspicuous words that often skip our consciousness? Not the grand nouns or colorful adjectives, but the simple, commonplace words we sprinkle throughout our conversations every day. Today, We're about to explore the linguistic realm where pronouns, prepositions, and articles rule. Those unassuming I, she, it, the, to, but, and for, that dwell unobtrusively in our daily chatter. Shockingly enough, it's these words that reflect our emotions, trustworthiness, gender, and social standing with the most authenticity. These little words are like psychic fingerprints. They possess the uncanny ability to predict the success of team collaborations, even the health of romantic relationships. As we delve deeper, you will uncover the association between pronouns and mental health, the gender most prone to using I-words, and how pronouns can expose falsehoods. Part 1. Take a trip down the memory lane of language evolution, and let's explore how a groundbreaking language analysis program shed light On our communication patterns. Go back in time over 100,000 years ago, and you'd find the earliest humans exchanging ideas through spoken language. Fast forward a little to around 5,000 years ago, and written language made its entrance. And if we speed ahead to just the past 150 years, we'd encounter a breathtaking proliferation of communication tools from telegraphs and telephones to television, email, text messages, and social media. It's clear that language is woven into the very fabric of our humanity. But what if the way we use language says more about us than we think? This was the question that led our author to pioneer one of the first computer programs for language analysis in the 1980s. Captivated by the potential of language to heal psychological wounds, the author sought to explore if penning down traumatic experiences could bolster individuals' mental health. The result? The birth of a revolutionary tool, the Linguistic Inquiry and Word Count, or LIUC, 
a language analysis program that would become instrumental in unraveling the intricacies of human communication. Luke was designed to tabulate words related to specific psychological concepts. Think about words conveying anger, such as hate, rage, kill, or revenge, or expressions of positivity, like love, care, and happy. This ingenious tool would tally these expressions, determining the prevalence of psychological states based on word usage. Interestingly, it turned out that those who used more positive words tended to have improved mental health. But the revelations did not stop there. In the 1990s, one of the author's graduate students suggested they steer the program's focus away from nouns, verbs, and adjectives, and instead take a closer look at words that expose our writing style, words we tend to overlook, like pronouns, prepositions, and articles. Examining these words brought forth astonishing findings. It turned out that those who varied their usage between self-referential I-words, I, me, my, you seem, and other pronouns, we, you, she, they, experienced significant improvements in their mental health. The shift from self-focus to others was a noteworthy indicator of healing. Part 2. While easily dismissed, style words offer a fascinating glimpse into our social aptitude. Take a moment and think about the diversity of words. Some transmit potent content and meaning, while others, though more discreet, function as linguistic scaffolding. So, let's delve into a basic classification. We have content words and style words, or as some prefer, function words. Content words encompass nouns, bringing to mind concrete items or abstract concepts like table, uncle, justice, or Peter. They include verbs which propel action, to love, to walk, to hide, and adjectives and adverbs that add layers of color and emotion to our language. Blue, fast, amazing, sadly, happily. Content words are rooted in culturally shared understanding of objects or actions and are the primary vehicles for conveying information or ideas. On the flip side, we have function words, the collection of pronouns, articles, prepositions, negations, and conjunctions. They're the supporting cast, I, she, it, a, an, the, up, with, in, for, no, not, never, and, but, because. These words are the unsung heroes that connect, sculpt, and organize content words. Yet, isolated, they hold little meaning. When analyzing texts, you'll observe that function words subtly dominate our language, often undetected as our minds automatically skim over them, homing in on content words. But, and here's the twist, these overlooked style words can reveal a wealth of information about our social skills. The key to this insight lies in our brain's layout. The processing of function words engages the Broca's area in our brain, nestled within the frontal lobe, which is a hub for managing several social skills. Considerable research has tied the frontal lobe to our capacity to express and mask emotions as well as interpret others' facial expressions. This connection implies that function words offer invaluable insights into our social competence and perception of our social environment. Part 3. Dive into a world where language shapes our identities and reflects our gender and self-orientation. You've probably heard some generalizations about how men and women use language. 
The typical assumptions might be that men are fond of I words, like I, sick, me, and my, while women sprinkle their conversations with positive emotion words like love, fun, or good. But is there any truth to these assumptions? Interestingly enough, the answer is yes, but not in the way you might expect. The gender language divide has nothing to do with positive emotion words. In reality, women, not men, are more inclined to use I words. Whether in casual conversations, online blogs or speeches, first-person singular pronouns find their way into women's language more frequently than men's. But why is that? Studies suggest that women often display heightened self-awareness and self-focus compared to men, mirrored in their increased use of I-words. In addition, women tend to use more social words, those referencing others like they, friend, or parent, and cognitive words, reflecting different thought processes such as think, reason, or believe. In contrast, men are more inclined to use articles, a, an, the. This trend might reflect that men often talk about specific objects, the faulty carburetor, a steak, so forth, more than women do, as concrete nouns need accompanying articles. One possible explanation for these linguistic divergences might be the socialization differences between girls and boys. However, our choice of words isn't merely dictated by gender. Our mental state also holds sway. The author scrutinized the diaries of a transgender individual undergoing hormone therapy involving periodic testosterone injections. In the aftermath of the injections, the patient's use of I-words surged, likely due to heightened self-awareness and focus on hormonal effects. As the therapy effects subsided and the individual became less self-focused, a corresponding shift emerged in their diary entries marked by an increase in the use of social pronouns like we, us, he, she, they. This demonstrates how our mental and physical state can profoundly influence the language we use. Part 4. Unlock the secrets of the mind by examining writing styles. Words serve as the key building blocks of our communications. Intriguingly, how we deploy words in emails, discussions, blog posts, or professional writing can reveal far more about us than the core ideas we share. The author has uncovered three distinct modes of thought corresponding to three unique writing styles. His understanding was birthed from an experiment where participants penned stream-of-consciousness essays, jotting down their spontaneous thoughts. Through careful analysis of these essays, he pinpointed three standout writing styles. The first style is a manifestation of formal thinking a state of mind opposing spontaneity. Formal thinkers may come across as stiff, lacking humor, or somewhat arrogant. Their writing tends to lean on larger vocabulary, showcasing frequent use of articles, nouns, numbers, and prepositions. The second writing style is indicative of analytical thinking. Such individuals strive to dissect their surroundings, discerning clear distinctions. Their writing style is marked by exclusives, but, without, except, negations, no, not, never, and causal words, because, reason, effect. The third and final writing style emanates from narrative thinking. Individuals in this category are natural raconteurs who relish conversing. 
Their writing style often incorporates all sorts of pronouns, past tense verbs, and conjunctions, particularly with and together. By parsing writing styles this way, we can gain a deeper understanding of people's thinking processes, their organizational approach, and their interpersonal relations. The author discovered that even descriptions of seemingly mundane items could shed light on an individual's thought patterns. In a different experiment, participants were asked to describe a commonplace water bottle. Astonishingly, the descriptions of such an ordinary object effectively unveiled the unique ways each participant processed their thoughts. Part 5. From Emotional Status to Deception. Language can be a revealing tool. Many might assume that language is an intuitive gauge of a person's emotions, but the reality is not so clear-cut. Often, individuals don't intentionally voice their feelings through words. Nevertheless, you can glean insights into someone's emotional state by scrutinizing their pronoun usage. Take, for instance, Rudolf Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, 1994 to 2001. He was often portrayed as a self-righteous, irate figure in the press. But upon being diagnosed with cancer in 2000, reports started painting him in a more humble, affable light. Curious if Giuliani's pronoun usage was reflective of this emotional shift, the author analyzed the language from Giuliani's press conferences. The most notable shift was a significant increase in I-words following Giuliani's cancer diagnosis compared to the earlier press releases. This aligns with the understanding that individuals enduring intense emotional or physical distress focus inwardly, thereby upping their usage of I-words. In contrast, angry individuals tend to externalize the focus, resorting to second person, you, and third person, he, she, they, pronouns more often. Interestingly, language usage doesn't only expose emotional state, it also holds the potential to detect dishonesty. The author affirmed this through an experiment where participants were tasked with writing essays on both genuine and fictional traumatic incidents. The writings were so convincingly crafted that it was challenging to identify which essays were grounded in reality. However, when subjected to a computer analysis, significant differences emerged. First, participants sharing personal experiences used a broader range of words, successfully capturing the intricacies of their ordeal. Likewise, they employed first-person singular pronouns, I, me, my, more often than their counterparts writing about imagined traumas. The frequent usage of I-words indicates that the writer is more self-aware, hence participants recounting their personal experiences were more conscious of their emotions. Equipped with this knowledge, differentiating authentic essays from the fabricated ones becomes considerably easier. Part 6. Decoding Social Status Through Language Usage Have you ever considered that the words we use could be indicative of our place in society's hierarchy? Much like differing modes of thinking, function words are highly revealing of a person's social stature. The critical determinants here are pronouns, which can be grouped into three classifications based on status. Firstly, individuals of higher status tend to use first-person pronouns, I, me, my, less frequently than those lower on the social ladder. Therefore, when engaging with individuals of lesser status, those at the top use fewer first-person pronouns. Secondly, 
first-person plural pronouns, we, us, our, are employed significantly more by high-status individuals compared to their low-status counterparts. Lastly, those with a superior status demonstrate a higher likelihood of using second-person pronouns, you, your, ye, in both written and verbal communication. You might be wondering, what prompts our pronoun usage to shift with changes in social status? The answer lies in where our attention is directed. Studies suggest that during face-to-face interactions, individuals of higher status tend to maintain eye contact while speaking, but shift their gaze away while listening. On the contrary, lower status individuals look away when they are speaking. So what are they looking at? It's likely that they're turning inward, which explains their higher usage of I-words. This follows logically, as I-words signal self-focus, while U-words and We-words show attention directed at the listener. This theory finds proof in the recorded conversations of former U.S. President Richard Nixon during the infamous Watergate scandal, which ultimately led to his resignation. At the heart of this scandal was a secret voice recording system installed by Nixon in his White House office. These tapes, which recorded private dialogues between Nixon and his political consultants, provided rich material for the author's analysis. As expected, Nixon, being in a position of power, used significantly fewer I-words than his advisors. However, as the Watergate scandal unfolded and his status started to crumble, his use of I-words began to escalate. Part 7. Using language style matching to gauge attention and compatibility. Have you ever found yourself mirroring the mannerisms or speech patterns of a character from a captivating film or engrossing book? When we are deeply fascinated or entranced by a character, we often subconsciously emulate their behaviors. But why does this happen? The phenomenon is rooted in the fact that people tend to adopt similar communication styles when they're engaging with each other attentively. It's a well-established notion among social scientists that individuals subconsciously mimic non-verbal behaviors of those they are intently engaged with during face-to-face interactions. The extent of this mimicry mirrors the level of attention being paid to the conversation partner. Unsurprisingly, This principle extends to spoken language as well. When two individuals are meaningfully engaged, their use of function words, particularly pronouns, begins to align. This is known as language style matching, or LSM. Intriguingly, LSM is such a reliable barometer of interest that it can even be used to evaluate romantic compatibility between two individuals. To understand how LSM works, consider an experiment carried out by the author. Conversations between prospective couples during a speed dating event were analyzed for LSM. The findings revealed that pairs demonstrating above-average LSM were almost twice as inclined to express a desire to meet again, compared to those with lower LSM. In fact, 77% of couples with high LSM scores were still dating three months after their speed dating encounter. This was in stark contrast to just 52% of couples with low LSM scores. So, if you're heading out for a blind date, keeping LSM in mind might just be the secret ingredient for a successful match. Part 8. Unlocking group dynamics and performance through the lens of we-words and pronoun usage. What sets successful teamwork apart? 
it turns out the answer lies in the team's use of language. Akin to couples, successful teams exhibit a convergence in their usage of function words. Particularly, high usage of we words often points towards a successful group. But what's the correlation? The usage of we words signifies a strong identification with the group. A fascinating experiment from the 1970s, led by psychologist Robert Cialdini, beautifully illustrates this concept. The researchers interviewed students from universities boasting top-tier football teams, questioning them about the results of recent games. Students invariably responded with, we won, when their team had been victorious, but switched to, they lost, when their team hadn't fared well. So, why the shift? Fundamentally, individuals seek to associate themselves with success and disassociate from failure, consequently adjusting their language accordingly. A similar pattern emerges in the language usage among couples. Studies suggest that couples using we words, we, our, us, frequently during discussions about their relationship, often enjoy a healthier relationship. On the other hand, conversations brimming with you words, you, your, yourself, often signal strife within the relationship. Moreover, the use of function words within a group can be a predictor of the group's performance. While we words serve as markers of group identification, these words alone can't foretell the efficacy of group collaboration. That said, language style matching, which you were introduced to in the previous section, can indeed predict such group dynamics. Consider Wikipedia, the collaboratively created online encyclopedia. One of the author's students analyzed group discussions among editors of various articles. The findings revealed that teams of Wikipedia editors, whose language demonstrated a similar use of function words, were able to produce more comprehensive and authoritative articles. Final summary. The core insights from this book are linguistic choices, including the usage of seemingly insignificant words we often overlook, offer deep insights into our minds. These insights span from our thought processes and perceptions of our peers to our position within social hierarchies. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.